0: Well, it is great to see you. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're glad to have you here in in person or if you're watching online, man, it's great to have you here. Uh, It was in the spring when kings go off to war and David stayed home. And with those words begin one of the most dramatic and vivid sagas in all of the Bible, the story and the ramifications of David and Bathsheba. Something happened when David stayed home. We're in a series about the man after God's own heart. It's David. I mean, and so far all we've seen is just, here's this guy that loves the Lord. I mean, God has said, you're after my heart. We saw last week, he's got a heart connected to God. And so far, everything David has done has been phenomenal in his service to God. And he has honored God. And understand, in the balance of Scripture, David is said to be a man who absolutely honored God. But there was a moment in his life, there was a time when he forgot that honoring God wasn't simply about his relationship with God. But honoring God also concerned his relationship with people. Something happened in his life when David stayed home that kept him from honoring God and it kept him from serving the Lord the way he should and the results of that were a disaster. Not only that, what David did in his sin with Bathsheba wasn't one of those things that kept quiet. It was a sin that everybody in Israel knew about and it was a sin that everybody in the world if they want to read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel will know about. And today I want to talk to you about when everyone knows your sin. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. And I'll get there in a minute. And here's what I want you to see. So important. You can't really choose to honor God if you're going to choose to sin. If you're going to make a choice in your life to sin, it's not that you stumble into sin or you commit a sin, you know, or somebody cuts you off on the road and you say something. It's, it's not that. It's not even, you know, the little white lie you may tell for whatever reason just to avoid a problem. Those are wrong. We're going to talk about that. So when you choose a path of sin, you can't choose to honor God. So the first thing I want you to see today is the most famous sin in all the Bible. Now, some people might say the most famous sin is the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. And I wouldn't argue with that. If I was preaching from there, I'd probably say that too. If I was preaching from that today. But here's the thing about Adam's sin and Eve's sin. You and I can't relate to that. We can't. We, there's not just two of us living in a garden naked with God talking to us all every day, being told, don't eat of the apple tree or the tree of oh, the knowledge the good and evil in the middle. We, we, we can't fathom that. But we can relate to David. We can understand his sin. And I'm not saying, you know, we commit the same sin as him. I'm not saying that. We just understand this is a really human guy. And we understand the magnitude of the temptation. And the ego that can be involved. And just the depths to which he stumbled and fell. Because probably all of us have been there at some time. And the thing about the sin is that this, this moment in his life really just changes the direction and the feel of David as king. Until this time, from, from 1 Samuel 16 to now. I mean, everything's been great. He's I mean, he has a heart connected to God. Everything's been fantastic. You know, he, he never let God down. It's been wonderful. It's not that he was sinless. It's just everything's great. But from this moment until the end of 2 Samuel, until to, to his death in 1 Kings, things are different. Problems are worse. The disaster occurs in his family. I mean, you know, we'll see next week. There's a child that's going to die. And then his eldest son, you know, will, will rape his, his half-sister. And her broad brother will kill him. And then that brother will, will become an, involved in a civil war. I mean, it's just it's chaotic and crazy. To kind of understand this, you just realize what leads up to it. We were in chapter 6 last week of Second Samuel. In chapter 7, David wants to build God a temple. He just loves God. And God says, David, you're not the guy to build it. I appreciate it. But listen, you'll, David, you love me so much. I love you here. You're always going to have a descendant sit on the throne. And we understand that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. We, we got that. And then in chapter 8, we see all the great things he did to expand the kingdom and get to his strength. These were God's people. Many I mean, everything's going great. In chapter 9, the mercy of David, there's one legitimate heir to the throne left from the time of Saul. He has one actual male descendant that could legitimately claim to be the king, the son of, of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth. And David just shows mercy, takes care of him, puts him up into his household. Your royalty is fantastic. I mean, in chapter 10, you, you have these dreadful, evil people the Ammonites, and, you know, and, and Israel's going to deal with them. But in chapter 10, they don't quite finish the job. Sketches us into chapter 11. Now, in David's sin with Bathsheba, it, she is not just this poor peasant girl, you know, or some commoner out, you know, bathing one day that David sees. She comes from my Jewish royalty, I don't mean royalties in kings and queens, I mean, just the higher ups. I mean, her family is phenomenal. Her daddy is a lion. Her daddy is listed as one of David's mightiest warriors. I mean, you, you go back to when David was wandering in the wilderness with Saul chasing him down, and he gathered these ragtag guys. There was a lion with David. He was with him from the beginning. That's her daddy. Her granddaddy, it's Ahithophel. He's like the inner circle. I mean, the inner inner circle. I mean, he's a bit older, probably than David. It's kind of a mentor. He's one of his most trusted advisors. In fact, when Absalom rebels against David, Ahithophel goes with him, and David is more afraid of him than Absalom. And then her husband Uriah, the headlight is a godly man. Uriah is listed as one of David's thirty fighting men. One of the the cream of the crop. I mean, these are great people. And he knows Bathsheba. He knows their family. He's probably known her since she was a little girl. He may remember when she was born. She's probably early 20s. David's about 50 now. I mean, he knows these folks. And so this, this is what makes this almost incomprehensible, what he's about to do. Because listen, he has multiple wives and, and, and God, you know, God never condones that, all right? Never. But, but, but God, God deals with sinful people. And if he didn't, we, we'd be in trouble, right? So the sin of taking another man's wife, that's the real issue. So all those other women, you know, they, they were either widowed or single. And, he took them. and so we begin this story and there's just these steps to sin. In fact, I've preached this passage a dozen plus times over the years, and, and normally I just focus on the steps to sin. But he, what I want you to see, first of all, is David stopped doing what God called him to do. And that's, that's the beginning point. God had called David to do something special. He, this is hard for us to grasp. He called David to be a war king. David, you're a warrior king. That's now, we can't grasp that fully, you know, 3,000 years later, 2,000 years after Jesus and the culture in the world we live in. I get that. But you got to go back. And I, I tried to explain this a few weeks ago in dealing with the Amalekites. The people, God places himself in a world that's messy. And he's got to clean up the mess. And to clean up the mess, you know, he's got David. And the people other than the Jews were just godless pagans. And they hated the Jews. And the pagans, the Canaanites, hated their God. I mean, the other countries said, God's fine. We all have multiple gods. But the Jews, they hated them because they only had one God. And they kept wanting to destroy the Jews and destroy their God. I mean, it's come for hundreds and hundreds of years from the time they left Egypt. That's what they've been trying to do. And then, I I shared with you a few weeks ago, and I shared with you back in May, dealing with the Canaanites, their religion was grotesque. They would sacrifice their children to their gods. And they had these horrible you know, sexual practices they did. I mean, it was just so disgusting. And they never came to, to God. I mean, we have Rahab and maybe one other. And that's it. You come in the New Testament, Gentiles come to God. Even before Jesus, Gentiles come to God. Then when Jesus comes, you have you know them converting to Christ all over the place. But back then these pagans didn't do it. And so, you know, you had to expand the kingdom. And David was the greatest king Israel ever had. He expanded their borders. I mean, Solomon would with some economic have, you know, means would have a few more things a little bit greater, but David just secured the borders and he protected God's people from all these pagans. His job was to go take care of God's people and go to war if he had to. And so verse chapter 11, verse 1 says this. It was the spring, the time when kings went off to the war. They fought in the spring. You know, it's hard to know. He's fat all the time in our world. But back then, you know, it was different. Uh, most of the army, there was a few full-time soldiers. Most of them were, you know, farmers, shepherds. They had, they had to work the crops. So they had seats. It was like football season, <laughs> fight season. You know, that's how I went. Now, you know, our seasons are all messed up. we got basketball, playing baseball, and baseball. I mean, it's crazy. Thank goodness football season is kind of makes sense. But the spring, after, after the winter it rains, because you couldn't fight when it was cold and rainy, <laughs> yeah, they, weren't, they weren't the toughest soldiers I ever left. You know. None of that in the And it was before the harvest, they went off to war. David sent Joab, his cousin in general, and with the servants. The servants were the, the regular soldiers and all the Israel, the rest of them. And they destroyed. We're just told right off the bat. They destroyed Ammon and besieged Rabah. I mean, this was, this, they were just finishing the job. But, and this is the key, David stayed at Jerusalem. But David stayed home. No, you no, know, why did he stay home? And some, some commentators will say, well, he didn't have to go. Lots of kings didn't go fight. Well, that may be true, but David wasn't like lots of kings. And, and, and some would say, you know, David's getting older. Listen, David's, this time, about halfway through his kingship. He's about 50. I'm going to tell you something. I know you all are much younger than the previous uh, service. 50 ain't old, let me tell you. 50 ain't old. And I'm a little bit north of 50, and I can can still hang. Someone once said, you couldn't probably win a fight. I said, no. But if I get the first punch in, there won't be a fight, so we'll be good with that, right? (laughs) David wasn't going to fight. David was just going to... They loved that. First, David was a master strategist. Not only that... If you read, you know, in Samuel and you read Chronicles, his men loved him. David's men adored David. And then he would go, he'd be an inspiration. That's who he was. He was the guy to go. And he stayed home. Why? Probably, I don't got complacent, probably. You know, I'm successful. I'm the big dog in the whole area. There's no bigger kingdom. I've done all God has asked me to do. I'm after God's own heart. I ain't going. David chose. Not to do what God called him to do. And then David considered temptation. Temptation happens to all. It's the careful calculated consideration that got him in trouble. First place, he wouldn't have been tempted if he'd have been off there. Now let me tell you something about Bathsheba. Bathsheba is not innocent in all this. And she knows what's going on. Everybody knows the king did not go to war. And everybody knows who the king is. And what his habits are. And Bathsheba is no different. And here's what it says in verse 2. It was evening came, and David rose from his bed, and he walked around on the roof of the king's house. Now, you know, it's, we can relate to the temperature. It gets hot in the spring. It's hot in the day. David lay down to rest, but, and it gets cool in the evening and the morning. And so David, you know, their houses were flats too, and he went there to walk around. And he had that palace, the highest place, you know, the highest place in the city. And right around him were all the nobility's homes and all the people that were close to him. And when I say nobility, I don't mean, you know, like English nobility, but all, all, the, all the, the, the elite people around David. And from the roof, it says, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Now, it, it, it's written, and we kind of get the idea, like you know, he just saw this girl bathing, didn't know who he was. Well, I mean, it's a small town. They all know everything. He knows who those houses are. And the bathing, it wasn't like she had a bathtub out there or a hot tub bathing. I mean, it was the idea, it was a ritual bath. I mean, she was scantily clad. She may have been completely naked, I don't know, but she was bad, so she was scantily clad. <laughs> She had servant girls helping her, and he saw her, and she's beautiful, and David saw her. And, and, And this is what's important. She knew David was there. She lives in that town. She knows David goes out in the cool of the evening on his roof, and he's not at war. And she goes out there with her servants. So David sent and inquired about the woman. Now, it's not like, I don't know who she is. Who is she? She's a pretty girl. Go find who she is. The, the idea is this. He's, now he's involving other people. So this ain't gonna be private. He's making this public. He's involved and he's sending them out. And he says, I want you to inquire her. That means this. I want you to send an invitation to see if she be willing to come spend time with me. Not just so they could have a cup of coffee and see how things are going. It's not what it's mean. It's an invitation come to his house. And she has every, she can totally say, tell the king, appreciate it, no, I'm a married woman, don't bother me anymore. She can do all that. And she has the right to do all that. She ain't gonna do all that, but she can. not So here's what happens. He sends an invitation and then his guys, one of his guys, one of the guys that's close to him that's not out there, we don't know who it is, comes and says, "All right." Basically, she's willing to come. But here's the thing. Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of of Uriah the Hittite. Now, here's the thing. David's considering temptation, and one of his guys says, David, David, stop, stop. Think about who this is. Her daddy has been with you from the beginning. It's a lion. Her husband is fighting. He's one of your 30 most elite guys. David, think about this. And David does. See, David's at a crossroads here. He's got a choice. The smart thing is to say, what was I thinking? You're right. Get my chariot. I'm heading out to Reba. I'm going to join the troops, and I'm getting where I need to be. That was one choice. The other choice was to say, I'm the king. I invited her, and she said yes. And no one will know, except for all the you know, 25 people who've been involved so far. Yeah. <laughs> David considered temptation. We all get tempted. But when you start considering that temptation, usually there's a point where you can stop. Better stop. Because the next thing we see is this. David surrendered to sin. He just flat gave in. So here's what it says. David sent messengers. It's just brief and to the point. And took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. She came, spent the night, maybe a couple nights left. Now, we tend to think of this as like, all in a couple of days. This is a period of weeks playing this out. You know, it just, Scripture condenses it. The woman conceived, I didn't even call it Bathsheba anymore, just the woman. Because the biblical writer ain't pleased with her either. And she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Now David's got a huge problem on his hands because another man's wife is pregnant. And all of a sudden, all that he's done hits him. So what is he going to do about this? Because he's chosen this path. So he goes and he gets Uriah and brings him back to to kind of say, tell me what's going on with the troops. Go see your wife, enjoy the time with her. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. The troops are fighting, i can not do that. And he gets him drunk, tries to do that. It won't happen. And so Uriah is not going to stay with his wife. And so David sends him back. And David sends, you know, an official courier pouch seals Just take it to Joab. And it says, in that pouch, you take Uriah, you put him to the front. Right there were all the actions at his heaviest. And you pull the troops back. And don't worry about it. And Joab does what David said. He puts Uriah out there. And here's the thing. Everybody out there fighting knows what's going on. At some point... When Uriah is dead, Eliam, his father-in-law, is going to say, why, why, why is Uriah dead? He's going to find out from the truth what happened. I mean, it hit the field. They're all going to know what happened. David had Uriah killed. In 1 Kings 15, it's talking about the, the kings that now that succeeded David and in the, in the country split in the northern and southern kingdom. And the, none of the kings really ever matched David. And, and, and 1 Kings 15 is lifting up David, talking about, here's a man after God's own heart who walked in the ways of the Lord, except... One time with Uriah the Hittite. So they recognize the sin is against Uriah. And that's really what it is. The sin is against Uriah. And David does that. Time passes. Bathsheba comes into his home after a period of mourning. But here's the thing. From that point on, everybody knows what happened. And it's never the same. It's never the same for David. Next week we're going to see the ramifications. We'll see his repentance. But 2 Samuel 11, 27 says this. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Evil. The word evil in the Old Testament especially is normally used for the worship of false gods. Or the sacrificing of children to those gods. And here we see that what he did is considered to be evil in the sight of the Lord. Get one of the health people. Let's see if they need them. One of the nurses or doctors they get all.. That's OK. We'll come back up here. We'll just take care of a little in-house business. And so what happens then is this, this evilness reminds us of something that's critical for us to understand, and, th- and this is what we need to see: that we don't stumble into sin. You choose sin. You don't stumble into sin. You choose to sin. And that's exactly what happened with David. He didn't stumble into sin. He chose this path. He chose to take the path of sin. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew what was going on. Because if you sin long enough and big enough, everyone will know your sin. And that's the second thing I want you to see. You sin long enough, and you sin big enough. Everyone will know your sin. And so, what I am going to do for the next few moments is we're talking in this series about honoring God, and we honor God. And what I want us to understand is just the depth of sinfulness that we choose and the difficulty of honoring God. Because here's the thing. You cannot honor God while you pursue sin. If you, you, you cannot honor God if you're going to choose to pursue sin. You just, you can't do that. And, and we become, you know, it's like you come in this crossroads and on this road we can go and we can honor God. And on this road, we, there's this path of sin. You can't do both. You can't say, I'm going to take this path of sin and in the process I'm going to honor God along the way. And I'm going to live. God. You can't do that. We like to think we can, but we can't. We uh, we live in a world that there's so, there's so many choices, so many of these crossroads we come to in sin, and so many paths we take. And I just want to share with you some some of them just you know, to think about, to mind of thinking. And, and I'm going to mention four areas, and they all, not, they're all going to begin with the letter S. I don't normally do that, but I'm like, hey, I can do that this time, so. I will. And and the first kind of the, the path we tend to choose is is sexual sin, you know, and that and that's so that is. Probably, for Christians especially, the biggest place to fall, the biggest area of temptation. And it's the one where p- people are just going to know what happened. And it's so simple. God says, look, you know, here's a husband, here's a wife. That's it. We're good. No more. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to deal with all the divorce and it's the second marriage. I don't care about that right now. Husband, wife, that's it. Nothing outside of that can you pursue. How about no? What if, no, just husband, wife. If it's not your wife or not your husband, there's nothing left for you to pursue. That's enough. And and so, but we don't want that. We want to pursue another path. And you can't honor God. And people think they can, and you can't. It doesn't work that way. And think about the secular type of uh, of sins. And I I say that, I don't mean that. I just mean it's, it's the things that we think about just connected to the world at large, you know? and in and, and of themselves are well, not bad, but, you know, people wanting success. There's nothing wrong with wanting success to be successful even, but when that's what you pursue, all you care about is success. How are you going to honor God when you're probably hurting people along the way to be successful? Or your salary, you want your salary, you want more money, more wealth. You, you kind of get greedy. How are you going to honor God when, when getting stuff, money, is what you seek to do? Or just society in general. You just want to be so connected to society. When I was growing up, we called it being cool, and now they call it being woke. And I have no idea what that means, because I ain't woke, don't want to be woke. The only time I want to be woke is when I'm taking a nap, you know, right before I preach and i got to get to church. Other than that, don't woke me at all, man. (laughs) Someone says, you're not woke. I said, I don't care if I'm woke. I'm 47 years old. I don't care about that stuff. You know what it means. I'm cool. I'm hip. I hurt my head, but now I'm close. <laughs> but you know, we, we pursue these things, and if this is if being so connected to society and culture is what you want, have you seen our society and culture? How are you ever going to how are you ever going to honor God? You can't. Same thing with, with the sins of self, those those sins. Uh, you know, the pride and the ego, and this is where, this is where it gets close to home. <laughs> the pride and the ego and the anger and the arrogance. If, if that's what you pursue, you, you can't honor God in your arrogance. I've tried. It doesn't work. <laughs> you can't in you know, all I'm so proud to honor God today. <laughs> I've tried that. It doesn't work. But this is what we do. We come to these crossroads. And it's all because we're not doing the things God called us to do. We decided to stay home. And see, so here's the thing. If you sin long enough, eventually everyone will know. And once everyone knows your sin, how are you going to honor God then? It's hard. It's hard. So Jesus talks about this. He says, you're the salt of the earth. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, uh, verse 13. You know, Jesus' basic explanation of what it means to be his follower. You're the salt of the earth. You know what salt does? Salt penetrates. It penetrates. Salt changes everything it touches. Did you know that? If salt, so you put a little salt on your on your tongue, it changes. Something's more flavorful. We were at a restaurant last night. I said, "I like a little salt with my food, please, because it makes it more flavorful." But in those days, salt salt would, if you had a cut, you put salt to help purify the cut, to cleanse it. Or if you had meat, and you know you didn't have refrigeration like now, you put salt on the meat, make jerky in essence, you know, or cure ham, whatever. You just purify it. I mean, uh, preserve it. But if the salt became contaminated, contaminated with gypsum or, or, or dirt or something, then you wouldn't want to put it on your meat it would make the meat putrid. You wouldn't want to put it on a wound to give you an infection. So what did they do with the salt? They threw it out and on the ground to trample on. Did the salt cease to become salt? No, it's just not useful anymore. Christians don't cease to become Christians. But I'm going to tell you something. When everybody knows you're sin, you're kind of useless. You're like polluted salt. No one's going to listen to you anymore. I mean, think about it. I mean, there's a lot of things as a pastor. You know, okay, you can do that a little bit. got a little temper. Okay, I did this one time on the golf course. uh, You know, saw him one time doing this or that. But if I enter into a prolonged course of sin or commit certain types of sins and you find out, you're probably going to say you can't be our pastor anymore. I'm not any dumber than I was before. still dumb, but not any dumber. You know, I'm not not lost any of abilities. I have just lost my influence I have lost the ability in your eyes to honor God when everybody knows my sin. (laughs) That's just why I try so hard to keep them private. (laughs) But the better solution is this. If you choose to focus on honoring God, it's difficult to choose sin. If David had not stayed home, David wouldn't have sinned with Bathsheba. We wouldn't be having this message now. No one would ever preach about it. If you choose to find the way to honor God, you're not going to choose the path of sin. And this is what we need to realize. How do we best honor God? What is the best way in your life to honor God? As a follower, I'm a follower of Jesus. What's the best way? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then that's what you need to do. You can't honor God until you become a follower of Jesus. So here's the thing. Honoring God is not just a private matter. It's a public one as well. It's not just private, it's public. We live our faith in public. I live my Christianity in public. I live a public life of honoring God, and so do you. And we need to understand that. So how do we best honor God in our life? What is it in life that God has called you to do to honor him? Let's think about it for a second. What is it really? What's the real way you honor God in your life? And do you do that? Or in your life right now, are you just sort of choosing to stay home? That's where some people are, aren't they? Uh, I've got a little complacent. Things are going good. I've served God enough. I'll let someone else do it. I've done whatever enough for God. Someone else can do it. Some of you in your place in your life where you're really considering sin, you're you're at a crossroads, and you're trying to think, how could I get away with that? I mean, what if I just did it this much, I went this far, I could still honor God, couldn't I? I mean, here's the path: honor God, choose the path of sin. But if if, what if I just instead of choosing it, what if I just put one foot there and kind of straddle the line? I could still honor God, can't I? No. Because eventually that path that you're straddling keeps taking you from God and you can't do it. Some of you, you are in that sin, you know it. And it's, a, and it's not just it's not the incidental sins we're talking about. You you're at a place where you've chosen a path and it's tearing you up inside. Maybe right now no one knows about it, and you're like, oh no one knows about it yet. Well, they will maybe now's the time to get that fixed. I'm going to preach about repentance next week, but maybe now's the time to say, Lord, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this in my life anymore. And whether it's public or not, doesn't matter. You just want to get out of it. You say, God, I want to leave that path behind. Today's a day you can do all of that. Today's a day to leave behind the sin. Today's a day to... Quit considering temptation and, and to turn and get back to doing what you need to do. Today's a day to do exactly what God has called you to do. And today's a day that if you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, the most important thing you could ever do, and I didn't preach about it, but the most important thing you could do is give your life to Jesus. In a moment, some of us are going to be standing right here. There should be, for you gals, if you want to maybe pray with another, another lady, there'll be someone here too. And our invitation to you is very simple. If you want us to pray with you about helping you, you know, get back to doing what God called you to do, or helping you deal with that temptation, or even helping you to find forgiveness from that sin or giving your life to Christ, we will do that if you need to come. If you want to stay where you are and pray, then pray there. No one has to know. This is, we're not asking you for any public anything. We just want you to be sure you leave this place today, knowing for sure that you're not going to stay home. You're going to honor God. So, Father, in the name of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we come before you, asking us to help honor you, to making sure, Father, that in everything we do, everything we say, we honor you completely, and that, Father, we glorify you. Our sin is real. Don't let it get in our way. Don't let our sin, Father, hurt our ability to honor you, Don't let our sin be that which everybody knows. Let it be that from which we turn away from today. And in turning away from our sin, we turn to Christ. In whose name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here. You come.